Hi, welcome back to Freshwater Perspectives, where today we're going to be talking about Ohio's burning river. So make sure you stay, stay tuned. <laughs> feel like this week is <laughs> has gone super fast maybe it's because we went like oh, three I weeks without it. recording and now we're recording within a week long you know um increment yeah that's true that's true that. i i don't know this week what well, i mean yeah i guess this, this was like the first full week back at least for classes no no it wasn't yeah classes didn't start till wednesday i'm all over the place um, but I'm all, I already messed up my class schedule. Uh, so the class I'm TAing, I thought it had lab on Thursdays. So Wednesday I was panicking, getting everything prepared for lab on Thursday. And then I walk in Thursday, I check the schedule and it's on Tuesday. So I have everything ready for Tuesday at least, but yeah, so that was a great start to the semester. And besides uh, that, that's too bad. yeah, I mean, besides yeah. that, Rachel and I are just, she's, she's going through rotation she had to she had to run out we were we were at the gym yesterday we just finished we were kind of doing our cool down and rachel got a call so she had to run in for an emergency so we were like running through the parking lot and like speeding home so she could change and then she could run in so an emergency she may or may not burst in. yeah i mean it wasn't like Whoa. it was like <clears throat> so the rotation she has right now is therio which is like reproductive i think or maybe i'm getting it mixed up but she's on reproduction right now so there was a dog that was like going in and out of heat, which isn't good. And it just didn't, it seemed kind of really lethargic. And then, so they took it in and then they did ultrasounds and the dog had a bunch of fluid in its uterus, which is not good for a dog that okay. is not in heat. So they just, they just recommended like an emergency spay kind of ASAP. So she had to run in and kind of help with some of that stuff. So she may or may not barge in at like any time to uh interrupt and, and get changed real quick before she speeds off for an emergency so okay be wow. aware of that but yeah yeah so what do you and what do you and sam got going on oh what are we doing in our life um we went ice fishing again so that's oh. fun did a whole day i was gonna do a whole cookout on the ice and um had a camping snow all of it you know and then um mm -hmm. i went to pull it out and uh, there's like this one piece on the camping stone, the connector to where the propane take gets into the stove. And that was mm -hmm. like, there's a little like connects in the back. There's a little holder for it and it popped out of its holder and it was back at home. And I was like, son of a, mm. <sighs> so I went to a grocery store or a convenience store called quick trip. I like ran off the ice. I was like skidding <laughs> off. And then I just like bought just a whole, menagerie of <laughs> hot goods and then i just ran back on the ice and i was like eat it <laughs> i was so mad because <laughs> uh, oh, no, we were terrible. i mean we did went out for get... 12 hours wow did you guys I mean, get so we, skunked again this time no we got like eight or nine but so we went out and then we went and got groceries it's weird but like we're an hour away from a large grocery store and mm -hmm. uh, so, like, we got groceries, and then we went back on there for like the night bite. We went back out. <laughs> okay. So um, weird to think about, right? But um, I was like, "Huh, are groceries gonna be fine?" And I was like, "Well, it's thirty-two degrees in a 
um <laughs> our refrigerator is uh you know i think it's either 38 or 35 degrees so i was like we're good yeah <laughs> but yeah not too many but we're gonna try tonight again because the vikings i'm uh not a big Ooh. sports team but they have a playoff game so they do they do I guess I guess I can watch a game this season. Nice. <laughs> well, I guess <laughs> there you listen go. listen to a game because we'll be on on the ice. But yeah, okay. Quality um, fan right there. You're just gonna, yeah. you're just gonna tune in during the playoffs. I like it. Mm-hmm. Sam's she's well she's doing good. She's doing library work at a school. Um, and then this month for me is reporting season, so it's slightly a nightmare. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's fine. I think okay. it's fine. It's fine. It's just more of a, I'm new to my a job and it needs, I, you know, you have to have st- systems in place and I don't have those systems yet. And I don't have mm. like a clear understanding of uh, what's coming around the corner. So on you. my toes right now, but it will be better each, each little time. I'm like, Oh, how can we do this better? And then like, I'm just going over that process over and over and over. So mm-hmm. I've had, I have like, done it a couple times now but now i need to need to go through all these little processes if this i hope this makes sense and then put it all together like where do the pieces fall what are the pieces that's where i'm at right now of the puzzle (laughs) and then how do you put the puzzle together okay does this make sense i i think so i mean just it sounds like you got your hands full no matter what and i think the first time you do anything yeah the first time you do anything isn't great so you're you're I think you're just going to suffer through it this first year and you'll be a pro next year. Cause it's like, Oh, I got to figure this out. But it's like, what, what am I figuring out? Like even have to ask that question first <laughs> to figure out something, you must know <laughs> the thing. So it's been fun. Hmm. But I am proud to say everyone's okay. getting paid. Okay. And well, nobody. Yeah. No, yeah. Everyone's getting paid. That's like the number one. So Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's be, number that's one a, priority right now. Yeah. And uh yeah, we're middle middle okay. of winter and it's great. And I, I don't know. That's all I got. <laughs> okay. Uh I do have a little piece of news right now just for you know, trying to trying to keep my ear to the ground for water news here. Uh-oh. So, drought in an interesting sort of follow-up to our episode about the California water wars. The city of Los Angeles has some ambitious new plans to combat its water quantity issues right now. And this is all according to an article from the New York Times that was released about a week ago. So like we addressed in the California Water Wars episode, much of LA's water infrastructure was built during the late 18 and early 1900s. And this infrastructure includes roughly 14 dams that both store water and ease flooding. However... Given California's continued water issues and, you know, kind of issues holding water and all the drought going on right now, LA is really trying to go above and beyond to almost literally save every drop of water that it really can. And after going roughly four years without any water related spending, LA County now has about $1 billion in taxpayer funding to play with. So now many people are aware of California's strong environmental stance. So the state is really trying to steer away from any major infrastructure projects. So as an alternative, LA County is proposing a $300 million per year program that would construct hundreds of small water capture sites over the next 30 to 50 years 
with the hopes of holding as much, if not more water than the 14 dams combined. Now, that's the only details I could find on these, quote, small water capture sites. Uh, there was no details, at least in the New York Times article, about the size of these sites, how much water they would hold, like exactly how many there would be, besides hundreds, where they would be. And there also appears to be a lot of skepticism among hydrological experts as to exactly how cost-effective and efficient these systems will be. A lot of the experts don't seem very confident that they will hold as much water as the the county is thinking. And on top of that, all of the overhead to keep these running and the maintenance costs of all these small individual sites is likely going to be astronomically higher than you know a smaller number of larger infrastructure projects like like dams for instance but despite all this the city of la and la county are still pretty confident about this greener approach to water green of course being in quotes as this approach will likely cause entire rivers to run dry and will harm native species and prevent the migrations of other species almost entirely However, on the other hand, it would also prevent heavily contaminated runoff that has been subject to many lawsuits from reaching the coast. So it's it's a weird situation right now, and it's certainly not an open and shut case. Nothing has really been official, and there's clearly much to be kind of figured out right now. And what do you what do you think about all that, Riley? Number one, the biggest thing that stuck out to me when you said that was the reporting side of things. So, like, mm-hmm. I'm. Yeah, how are you going to report on all like hundreds of different reservoirs? I feel like that's just going to be a like a a nightmare, you know? Like, do they have all that funding secured for the next thirty years? <laughs> you know, because yeah. like I feel like that's going to be a line item in perpetuity now for them. Um, being in my position, like, yeah, there's you you implement something, and then there's all this back end reporting. I'm coming to find mm-hmm. out, and um. So that's that's what sticks out to me is like who who's gonna keep track of it and then like say you get I don't know I get so did you say it's for drinking water or did I just make that up in my head? Yeah, the idea is for drinking water. I guess it's it's multi-purpose. I guess it could be for agriculture as well. But I believe the yeah. idea was was for this to be drinking water. And again, you mentioned reservoirs. I don't think these are supposed to be reservoirs. They're supposed to be an alternative to reservoirs. The only other word that that this New York Times article used was cisterns, aside from small water capture sites. So I don't know if these will be like kind of water tower, like additional water tower sites. Again, the the details are really spotty right here. Huh. Interesting. I just Googled cistern. Uh, Tank for storing water. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, Okay. So I guess if that makes... That makes... um, so yeah, not a reservoir. I guess that makes like the because my thought was like, what if something gets contaminated and then there's like a you have to work the problem backwards. Like, um, mm-hmm. okay, we know you know like oh there's there's a lead issue. We used that before. Like where where is this where is this issue coming from? And then you have to go check all these little hundreds of um, oh yeah different silos. I'm, what I'm got pulled up right now, it kind of looks like a almost like a silo. Yeah, no, California, interesting. and also a billion dollars for water. That must be nice in a state that taxes yeah. so much <laughs> as well. well yeah, no kidding. I mean, like I said, this is just just LA County, mind yeah. you. So this isn't even 
like the the like the budget for the entire state. This is just one county that they get, I guess, roughly two hundred fifty million dollars per year in water related spending or infrastructure. Uh, again, this what exactly that money is supposed to be used for was a little unclear, but they just said water related spending. So, I guess take that take that that face value. Um, even beyond that, the like I said, it's a thirty to fifty year program. And at least the way this article puts it is that this is a $300 million per year program. So I don't know if that's just construction cost, if that's construction and the kind of maintenance and overhead. I'll try to try to follow up with more details, but that was all that this New York Times article had right now. Crazy. Um, so maybe I'm being rash with my comments. I, don't, I guess I just don't know, right? That's, um, yeah. at least they're trying. How about that? You know? Um, yeah, that's fair. I think that's, I think that's, a, that's a, fair thing to say they are trying yeah but i mean gosh i feel like you gotta go being that close to the ocean like i don't know the the um the feasibility of desalination like what what would if you throw all that money into a desalination plant like then you would have that well i don't want to say there's always an environmental factor so i guess you gotta weigh that between these small Mm -hmm. cisterns all over the place and then like constructing mm-hmm. one giant desalination plant versus constructing all these small silos. I don't know what that, yeah, what from, that would look I'm, like. Yeah. I'm by no means an expert on desalination, but at least the little bit that I do know is that some of the, I mean, obviously desalination is very expensive. Now I do know that some counties in California, like there, there already are a handful of desalination plants in California. So yeah, this, this isn't anything new. But I believe some of the kind of hurdles are all the energy demand you need because I believe most of them run off of reverse osmosis. And that's just an incredibly energy consuming process because you're just shoving water through these different filters and you're really trying to just separate water from all the the stuff dissolved in it, obviously. Yeah. And then aside from that is you're left over with all this just brine, this kind of briny mess, and you need to figure yep. out what to do with that because it's just concentrated salts and potentially heavy metals. So there's a lot of stuff to kind of take, you know, kind of take into account. So I yeah, feel I like if, yeah, I feel like with these desalination plants, your uh, your water bill would probably be pretty high, at least for the overhead costs. But again, I don't know. I'm not an expert, so. No idea. Yeah, I know that. Texas, someplace in Texas do it too. And then like um, the Arab Emirates, I believe. But anyways, I think we've talked about this yes. before. Who knows? Um, yeah. Good story. How about that? <laughs> that's a good, that's a yeah. good uh, I mean, little yeah. update. Yeah. Thanks, man. I'll, thanks, uh, man. So how do you, what do you, uh, how do you feel about the Cuyahoga River? Let's go ahead and just jump right into it. The Cuyahoga River. Um, mm-hmm. Is this the one where I see the old photos of burning things burning or paintings? Oh, yeah. I don't remember yep. that's, off the top of my head. That's the one. Okay. And yeah. that well, is. It, it kind of depends. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get to that as far as how many times it caught on fire because it was more than once. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. So in, in total limited, my, uh, <laughs> my, my knowledge base around this is limited. And, um, okay. Something, I hope this isn't taking your thunder, but like, didn't one, isn't this one of the main reasons why we got like the EPA or yes, wasn't there yes, like a is. lot of, okay. I think that's yeah. my connections. I remember with this is like, there's, um, 
because it was so bad, it it kind of spurred on even farther out than water, if I'm remembering right. Absolutely. Yeah. You kind of, right. you hit the nail on the head there. No, you're good. I like it. And Shoot. there's, there's like a bunch of little breadcrumbs that led to that, that I think like it's a part of the story that I really didn't expect. So we're going to, we're going to talk all about that in a little bit, but to go ahead and get things started off as I usually like to do, I'm going to start with a little bit of history. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Cuyahoga river, it is a major river system that runs roughly 85 miles through Northeast Ohio. It originates from springs near Hamden and Montville, Ohio, and eventually flows directly through the city of Cleveland before emptying into Lake Erie. The river's watershed is about 809 square miles, or about three quarters of the size of Rhode Island, so pretty sizable area. However, it is quite shallow, with most of the river ranging between three to six feet in depth. So that's most of the kind of physical stuff I had. And then as far as the river's name and its origin, it's a little debated, but it's widely agreed upon that it is some form of a Native American word and origin being either a Mohawk word. I'm going to butcher this, so I apologize. The Mohawk word Koyagaga, meaning crooked river, or the Seneca word Koyahage, meaning jawbone. Again, I butchered both of those words, so I apologize in advance. But both of those words describe the very sharp bend that the river makes as it flows southwest and then almost suddenly due northwest. And the eventual name appears to be some sort of hybrid between the two words, thanks probably to European settlers that couldn't pronounce either word and just kind of ended up mushing them together. And the earliest written reference of the river being called the Cuyahoga is from French maps. In um, the town I grew up in, it's Mankato, Minnesota. Um, it's a, it's, mm-hmm. it's a tribal word. And like a, it was supposed to be Mankato, which is like the name of an individual. Mm-hmm. But it got on the way to whoever certifies towns way back when. It got smudged, apparently. So Mankato turned to Mankato, which means blue skunk. Huh. <laughs> and it, so oh, it no. remained. That's so much worse. Okay. <laughs> yep. I love hearing the translations of all these yep. Native American terms. There is one. Ah, what is it? There's one down here in Alabama. There's one of the rivers. I can't think of which one it is. I don't know if it's the Caloosahatchee or one of those. I think that one might be in Florida. But I think the rough translation is like turtle gathering place or like turtle harvesting place. And I'm like, oh, that's, huh. I wonder, I wonder why they picked that name or well, I wonder if that's actually the name and it just got butchered. Like, like what seems to be pretty common throughout history, but yeah, yeah. going down South, it was interesting. Cause the, I guess I'm, I guess I'm assuming native American like names like um, Chattahoochee, like Cahaba all those rivers it's just like mm-hmm. where i'm from the native american and i don't know what tribe but like um they're the, the wordage is just different you know what i'm saying like minnesota like odas and like mm-hmm. minihaha but then like down there it's like uchi abba mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying um yeah no that's, that's a good point yeah i yeah, would love to have lord knows out east what you guys off. have <laughs> i would love, unfortunately i think in the east Unfortunately, a lot of the European settlers, when they came in, they just named everything 
after what was already back home. Hence, mm-hmm. New Jersey, you know, Greenwich. I mean, there's like a million and one names from New Jersey and from the East that you can find over in Europe as well. I don't think there's a ton of native areas, kind of at least New Jersey that I can think of off the top of my head that are kind of, there are a couple cities that are named after like tribes or high mm-hmm. schools. I know there's like Lenape High School, Cherokee High School, but there aren't a ton of like kind of those lineage names left over for anything in the area, unfortunately. But yeah, you down here, like... in, apparently in the Midwest, that's, that's pretty common. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then like out, out West, right? It's just all, um, oh, yeah. I know there's a lot of them, um, but uh, the, the East is interesting because like after the war, the war, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like we should have changed all of it. Like mm-hmm. New Hampshire, be like, Mm-mm. yeah, we ain't we ain't new That's anymore. This point. is us. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, actually. But I think it's New just, York. You know, no, really... <laughs> <laughs> it's just York. Well, that's a uh, yeah. Well, New York is actually an, an interesting one. And again, I'm just a history person. This is getting way off tangent. But New York was originally, ah, uh, what was it? It was not New York. It was New. It was a Dutch settlement at first, and it had a different name. And then there was like you know like a standoff between the British and the Dutch, and the British were like, "We're going to rename this New York." So this is ours. Oh, I didn't now. know that. Hmm. But yeah, yep. Yeah. It was originally a Dutch settlement. But hmm. anywho, getting back to the Cuyahoga River, <laughs> the Cuyahoga River. After you know, just kind of talking about the French and how they ended up settling all the name, mainly because it apparently being a kind of butchered hybrid between native Mohawk and Seneca words. The river would eventually be used as a boundary marker between Native Americans and the rest of the United States in the Treaty of Greenville or Grenville, depending on how you pronounce that, that ended the Northwest Indian War in what was later called the Ohio Country in 1795. A year later, in 1796, a surveyor by the name of Moses Cleveland was tasked with surveying the region and started a settlement at the mouth of the Cuyahoga River that would later become named after him, the city of Cleveland. After this, the river goes mostly unnoticed and kind of out of the limelight for about 70 years. So from um, about the 1790s to the 1860s, there isn't too much going on with the Cuyahoga. However, that brings us to 1868, when the Cuyahoga River catches fire for the first time. Yes, I'm saying that the river caught fire, and yes, I'm saying it's the first time, because this, uh, this river caught on fire more than once, Riley. Can you, can you guess how many times the Cuyahoga River caught on fire? I'll give you a hint. <laughs> it's between 2 and 20. Is it 20? No, it's 13. <laughs> ah. <laughs> <laughs> I tricked you. <laughs> I was gonna say three actually, yeah. so that's way more. Thirteen's way more than I thought it was gonna yeah. be. Wow. Yep. Yep. Uh, what yeah, um, thirteen? So what? What happened, Matt? <laughs> so this is like the really frustrating part about this whole story is that so much of the early fires just didn't really go well reported there were some oil paintings but there wasn't like oh it happened on this day and this is why it happened it was just kind of like oh yeah the the river caught on fire we should put that out and that's really it and we'll get to later on what eventually kind of brought people's attention to it but 
like what's pretty well agreed upon is that the reasoning behind the river's kind of combustive history is that it's it's mostly Cleveland's bustling manufacturing that started during and following the American Civil War. So Cleveland's reputation later drew the likes of American shipbuilding, Sherwin-Williams paints, Republic Steel, and Standard Oil, all of which were dumping their toxic and, in some cases, incredibly flammable waste into the Cuyahoga River. On top of that, there was tons and tons of untreated human waste that was also being discharged into the river. And even though you'd think that a river catching on fire would scare people into making sure it wouldn't happen again, it appears that really wasn't enough damage caused to stir up much worry. And again, the numbers are a little shaky, but I guess by simple math, there we're gonna we're gonna fast forward already from 1868 to 1952. So between that roughly 90 years, simple math says there was about nine or ten other fires between that between that first one in 1868 and this one in 1952. Again, why no one thought this was an issue, I have no idea. Oh my gosh. I think like at this point in time, because this isn't the only polluted river, right? Perhaps more no, so polluted not. than others, but like you think now, mm -hmm. like around some major metropolitans, they, they you know, riverways are so kind of sought after and nice. And then, um, mm -hmm. like, do you think around this time though, people are like, I do not want to have a any kind of apartment or building by the river because it's just disgusting. Or was it still like prized, yeah. you know, to be like around there? Like, I'm thinking like Chicago with that's all the a, waterways. Yeah, that's a really good question. I might have to look that up before our next episode, Riley. Because I feel so like it would be. Some homework just disgusting like it's like with with the effluent too like just would it just wouldn't it just reek you would know. think yeah like literal raw sewage and industrial waste i mean that's yeah that's a really good question i don't know I have no idea but hmm. yeah so going back <laughs> from so 1868 was the first fire fast forwarding about 90 years to 1952 this is when the largest fire in the river's surprisingly long history of fires caused nearly one million dollars in damage to boats a bridge and a riverfront office building this fire appears to have caused a click in the minds of cleveland lawmakers as mayor carl stokes gathered support for a 100 million dollars in bonds to rehabilitate the cuyahoga river again i don't have any any explanation for why it took so long and like I said earlier, the written history of the other 11, 10 or 11 or so fires is spotty at best, but I promise you this is not the end. And as a matter of fact, on June 22nd, 1969, a mere, what is that, 17 years later, a rail car carrying molten steel kicked sparks that once again ignited the Cuyahoga River thanks to a slick of oil that was coating the river's surface. This fire only caused about $50,000 worth of damage, but the story was picked up by national reporters, including Time Magazine, who printed the story a few weeks later in August, which just so happened to be the Times' best-selling issue up to that point, thanks to a story about a Massachusetts senator who drove his car off a bridge. Americans would pick up the issue eager to read about Senator Ted Kennedy and also happened to read about Cleveland's literal dumpster fire of a river. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. Take take a step back. Did you say there was a train car carrying molten steel? Oh yeah. Did I did I did I gloss over that? Yeah. So apparently 
I don't know anything about the infrastructure in that region or at that time, but I believe the way that the, the steel manufacturing was set up is that maybe there was one area where the, the kind of steel was processed and another area where it was kind of cast into a, the beams or whatnot. So I guess they would take that molten steel, put it on a train car, and roll it across this bridge to a different area. Again, this is, I'm not a historian, and this is me reading a handful of articles. So this is, molten like, steel was definitely used, though. But like, molten steel is like super hot, right? Like, does it stay oh, yeah. like I, liquid? I right? agree. Like, how does it, I, how yeah. does it stay liquid during transport? Anyways, we're getting in the weeds. That's a <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, maybe something got lost in translation with the reporting and maybe it was just regular hot steel that was kind of freshly cast and it was kind of just kicking up sparks anyway. I don't no, know. I'm sure Either you're way, right, but like, it's just yeah, interesting of like heated, I'm thinking like a heated train car. <laughs> yeah, but no, like, I, listen, we're on the same page here, man. <laughs> but it's not like it's just a little heater, like that would have to be like <laughs> super hot. Oh yeah, it'd be really hot. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't make sense to me either. And I, like I said, I do not claim to be the expert on this. This is me reading a handful of articles and Wikipedia. So, you know, kind of right between the lines there, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about this Times, this Time Magazine piece for a little bit. So this Time Magazine, this particular issue happened to be the first, which included an environment section and also happened to include a piece about the Apollo 11 mission. So it probably wasn't, all that surprising that it was the time's most read piece up to that point, the most read issue, in my opinion, to think that it needed to take the Time Magazine's best-selling issue to bring attention to the fact that a burning river isn't a good thing and needed some fixing. <laughs> so this Time Magazine piece and the burning Cuyahoga River helped fuel the fire of water pollution, <laughs> fuel the fire, of water pollution control that would lead to the Clean Water Act, the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement, and even the good old EPA itself, as Riley said at the beginning of this. Uh, who would have thunk? Because I, I certainly, I didn't know that. I'll admit, I did not know that. So you are, you are better than me, Riley. Um, and in fact, while testifying to Congress, Cleveland Mayor Carl Sticks, we mentioned earlier, gave a pretty empathetic testimony pleading that he and the city of Cleveland were essentially powerless to defend the polluted Cuyahoga against industrial waste. And as a result, the U.S. government enacted sweeping point source pollution control measures and directed a substantial amount of aid towards Cleveland and the Cuyahoga. And a later 1970 investigation by U.S. Attorney Robert Jones alleged that 12 companies were responsible for the Cuyahoga's toxic status. And I guess they couldn't pin it on all of them, I guess, with maybe the the kind of, I don't want to say weak, but the kind of new, all the new laws that are being enacted by the by the by the U.S. and um and the EPA right now, at this time, and this would later manifest into only one major lawsuit up to that point against Jones and Laughlin Steel Corporation for the company knowingly dumping lethal levels of cyanide into the Cuyahoga. So I don't think that was. was <laughs> I guess at that point, at least up to that point, they didn't need any kind of environmental bill to do that. They just needed like, hey, th- we know this is bad. You shouldn't do this kind of thing. But Robert Jones, so the U.S. attorney, would later on to go, would later go on to file dozens of other lawsuits that would help uh, with the help of the new EPA in efforts to combat America's water quality issues. So I think as they were kind of rolling out these new water quality bills, 
there was probably some transition point where they couldn't just pass a new bill and then, you know, sue as a result. They probably needed to wait a couple of years for to kind of gather all their evidence to actually bring these these companies to to court. Yeah, it's so weird um, thinking about because there is a point in time before there was in our country. This is all about U.S. right now, but like there was a a pre EPA moment, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering like yeah, like we're were environmental regulations, quote unquote, like were they, I don't know, maybe were they like assessed at the state level, county level, I'm wondering, or if it was just like, yeah, free for all until this point in time. And then, yeah, then the feds step in, they're like, mm -mm, stop it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, yeah. One, that's one a... day I'll read up a little bit about it, but yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And I think, I mean, based off of uh, the Cleveland mayor, Carl Stokes's kind of testimony, it seemed like, again, that these kind of big corporations, and again, I'm sure he's embellishing just to get Cleveland all the help it needed, but he made it seem like, you know, these big corporations came in and they were kind of running the town. And if Cleveland tried to tell them what to do, if the city tried to tell them what to do, then they would just pick up business and go elsewhere. So they were almost hamstrung by all the business and all the, you know, the kind of big economy that these big businesses brought in. So it's, you know, again, I don't know how much credence there is to that, but that's at least the pic the the picture that the Cleveland mayor kind of painted for us. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I have no answer either. Yeah. So like it's just um it's kind of just a fun little thought thought process. Yeah, no, for yeah, sure. What, it is what yeah. what was it like before this point in time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, agreed. Now, in an almost poetic twist for the Cuyahoga River, Cleveland's restoration and rehabilitation efforts earned the Cuyahoga River the distinction of being recognized as one of America's 14 heritage rivers in 1998, joining the likes of the Detroit River, the Potomac River, the Hudson, the Mississippi, and the Rio Grande, to name a few. This designation was part of President Bill Clinton's American Heritage Rivers Protection Program as part of a 1997 executive order. Now, it was unclear to me what the purpose of this program was, other than to perhaps bring attention and recognize river systems that are either integral parts of American history or that just kind of needed some help. And the criteria for inclusion included rivers that are unique in some fashion in reference to their natural, economic, agricultural, scenic, historic, cultural, or recreational characteristics rivers that received overwhelming written support from their community citizens, rivers whose communities have shown a willingness and capability to implement rehabilitation goals, and or rivers that display the effectiveness of a community's efforts to restore and rehabilitate it. So I guess you could see a way that the Cuyahoga could definitely meet all those criteria. It's just, yeah, again, at least from the outside looking in, I'm not sure what that executive order was supposed to accomplish. <laughs> However... Despite what seems like a storybook ending and one of redemption for the Cuyahoga, the reality is that it continues to struggle with severe pollution issues thanks to urban runoff, sewer overflows, and other non-point non source pollution. The Cuyahoga is currently listed as one of 43 Great Lake areas of concern. One silver lining, though, is that the river's water quality is more or less suitable and meets the standards to support most aquatic species including northern pike bullhead catfish perch and even more sensitive critters like stemfly mainfly and caddisfly larvae that are considered indicators of bad water quality so there are definitely signs of progress 
and most issues tend to arise during and after severe rain events as the outdated water treatment infrastructure causes raw sewage to enter the river. So that's where things kind of really cause issues, which is the case for most of the country, unfortunately, with our outdated infrastructure. And with that, that's pretty much everything I had on the Cuyahoga River. And like I said, I'll admit, I, I learned way more than I expected about this. And I don't think there was much else to the story aside from a dirty river. And, you know, I, I really hope everyone uh, learned something too. I just thought it was a dirty river. I didn't, I didn't think there was the, the times article times magazine article was an interesting little twist. I, I didn't know that. And I really didn't know that it started the EPA more or less, but you got anything else to add Riley? Yeah, that's um, first off. Good job. And second off, it, it's interesting that like there's, <laughs> I don't want to say just a river, but there's like points in time that, yeah, spur on from it, like uh, mm -hmm. a lot more. Like uh, I'm thinking like DDT and Silent Springs, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's a good point. Who knows in the future what else is going to spout off like yeah. a crazy amount of change? Um, it could be these water wars that are happening. Um, I think it already is, but like, um, what's the next? kindling for the big big water related changes in the, the world in the u.s too mm -hmm. yeah, yeah i uh <laughs> i do do want to sit down and, and write some more stories about all the different water wars around the country but, but i do want to do credence to each of them and they just take like that california waters war, water wars one just took so much time to actually mm -hmm. write so i need i want to devote some more time to make sure i do each of them justice and i don't have that kind of time right now but i will i will get back to it maybe during the summer mm -hmm. no yeah that'd be awesome um i don't have anything else to, i'm trying to think of something to comment here um i don't think i have anything okay that's fine i don't think i have anything so if, i think we're good cool if any of our listeners are interested in reading about this or any other related topics you can go ahead and head over to substack which is an app or it is freely available via your web browser as well it is freshwaterperspectives.substack.com and if you have any comments questions or concerns about the show you can go ahead and email us at fwperspectivespodcast at gmail.com i'll see you later riley see you matt